Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always I am joined by Will Murden. How's it going tonight, Will? Really good, buddy. Really good. The weather is turned on us. It's, it's all shitty, but we are doing well. It's good to see you. I hope you've been keeping all right. I would say it's good to see you, but dude, you got to have your video turned on. I can't see your sweet Cliff Kingsbury mansion background if your camera's not on. I have hidden myself away. You're right. Uh, I, I better get that going because a big part of this is us being able to look into each other's eyes. <laughs> Keep the bromance alive. Exactly. It has been a long, long time. I think the last ep we did, we had a bit of a chat about where kind of our journey of college football started. And we're going to kind of continue in a way down that path and, and have a bit of a chat about big players, moments, times, games, experiences that have impacted our college football journey so far. And and some of those we shared, some of those were independent, and some of those I can't really remember in their entirety, but I do know they had a lasting impact on us. Before we get to that, we are going to talk draft, which is a little bit more uh, current and up to date, but like everything at the moment, we are still in a holding pattern. And so we can't get too excited, although there was some news of which there is very little at the moment around college football. Uh, Iowa football has announced they will be returning to practice on the 1st of June. Whether that will be all cleared or not, I'm not too sure, but Iowa has made that statement. And there was some more news around players receiving uh, payments. Payments isn't the right term, but they are allowed to receive financial gain i suppose from their likeness or selling particular merchandise etc and the ncaa has approved that over the last week as well so we're looking at a situation where the game is becoming more professionalized and certainly more monetized for the players Um, yeah and i want i want to touch on that one because i'm really disappointed to see this report uh from everything that i've read uh it appears that the decision does not lead us to any closer to having NCAA football the game back. Why? I, I, it, from what I understand, they're allowing players to use their likeness for endorsements, but what they will not allow, allow is the use of the NCAA or the institution in any of these sorts of advertisements. It, it has to be kind of the uh, player themselves. Uh, so yeah, okay, anything great, yeah. that involves the, the institutions themselves is kind of outside of the scope of what they're allowing. And that's obviously kind of a big, a big piece of what, how the NCAA game is configured. So they, they went so far as saying from the findings that the game was essentially off the cards, not happening with what, that, with what they've revealed. So I'm, I'm not happy. I'm, well, I don't really understand that. Though. I haven't read the details of it, but... So they're saying that players can receive monetary or gain or retributions or however you want to phrase the term based on their, you know, whatever services they provide in the community and they are able to effectively advertise themselves because they are famous. But the only reason they're famous is because they're tied to an institution for being an athlete, but they can't then use that insignia i guess and the school name and label as part of that promotional enterprise 
Yeah, and it's a bit of an odd one. They're going to have some sort of committee that it oversees these endorsements as well oh, to ensure God. that there's this like... This is a... F- exactly right. That, that there's a fair market value on endorsements, which like you need to have something in place because when you think about it, like I'm Big Bob Booster who owns, you know, oil company X out in Texas. Yeah. And I'm hooked into, you know, the Longhorns, whatever it is. And we've got this recruiting on board. Oh, I'm going to sign you on to be our ambassador. I'm going to pay you a million dollars to be in this. <laughs> to shake po- hands and kiss Exactly baby. right. To be in yeah. this poster ad. Like there needs to be something. Otherwise, it just becomes a proper pay for play situation, which we're trying to avoid through this. So I can kind of see that they need to have something in place there, but it just opens up a whole new can of worms that it's going to be a fun one to follow. Does this create any change or waves in the landscape of college football or does it, does it create a bigger gap between the haves and have nots? Uh, I think it does. I absolutely think it does. I think now going to a bigger program makes you more marketable. There's going to be more opportunities. So even if you're a second rung player, there's potentially opportunities for you to get involved with certain things being advertisement opportunities, endorsements, stuff like that for second rung players at the larger schools than you would be being a star at a, at a smaller school that doesn't have the prolific booster ties that some of these do. So I think it, it will certainly have an impact, but we'd be kidding ourselves to say there's not already a, a huge impasse between the, the two. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's just kind of playing into that narrative. I think we're still going to have that aspect of the underdog and i think it probably just feeds into that a little bit more and and lets us kind of cheer the little guy uh home yeah i don't like this i think it's playing with fire i've said this from the start the last question which i'm sure you're not going to know the answer to but if they're saying that there is a committee to oversee the fair market value of some advertising well how are you going to justify if and I'm going to use Alabama as an example, but you could pick any college football town whereby it is not a major metropolitan center where 80 players are receiving endorsements for advertising, where there's really not the market for 80 players worth of advertising, if that makes sense. Like a town like Tallahassee or Tuscaloosa or Starkville, Mississippi, or whoever, whatever these, whatever town you choose, are predominantly made up by college people and college kids. So does that weigh into that yeah. kind of decision? Well, you're spot on. It becomes another recruiting chip, right? It's, it's yeah. something you have up your sleeve to say, you know what that, that maximum amount is. Let's say it's $5,000 for a player to do X. You can kind of say that to say, look, there's a $5,000 spot for you. All you have yeah. to do is get your photo taken. Like yeah. there's certainly that opportunity, but again, as we all know, it's happening now. So the fact that it's kind of going out there. I just don't want to see a situation because I think we're heading in this direction more and more. And I've, and I've said this about the college football playoff as well, is that a lot of teams don't have much to play for outside of, you know, even their conference wins and games are not valued as high anymore as a result of the college football playoff, but we won't head down that deep and dark road again. However, now, if the difference is going to be even greater, you're setting up something like a, an English Premier League where there's really only four or five teams that can possibly win and the rest have literally got nothing to play for. It already and is. I, I just, yeah, it is. 
it is a little bit that way. I agree, but it, if it exacerbates that and and that is you know even more enhanced, then I think college football loses something because then the underdogs don't ever have a chance. Like college football is built on underdogs. It's built on underdogs having their moment in the sun. And if you completely kill that off, then you know danger times. I think. But again, this is from. A very, you know, closed-minded headset probably. There's probably a lot of people that think this is beneficial for the game. It's beneficial for the players. Uh, maybe it reduces the likelihood of a spin-off league completely, which has been talked about for years as well, like a pro-e developmental type league where they're actually getting paid and they can go straight from high school to that and get paid. So anyway... We can, you know, debate this back and forward. But anyway, let's move on into the draft. Uh, I know that you like the draft. We had a great experience with it this year. This was probably my most fun draft. Uh, I spent the most time on it this year, having put in the time and effort into watching these college players over the last, you know, two to three years, more so than we have in the past. It made this draft more entertaining, exciting. And even by the fourth and fifth round, I was knowing who was getting picked and whether that was a good situation landing spot. The one thing I do want to say is we know nothing about the draft, really. We know nothing about how these kids are going to project. And a lot of people pretend like they do. There's one thing that infuriates me. It's like, oh, that was a great pick. It's like, you don't know that. They get grades after, oh, you get a C plus for your draft. What the fuck does that mean? Because we know that in 2016, Vernon Butler, Paxton Lynch, Josh Doxson, Corey Coleman, Darren Lee, and Laquan Treadwell were all first-round picks. Sick. I can probably name, and you can do that in any draft you want, but at the time, they were considered reasonable as well. So let's just fucking pump yeah, the brakes. But yeah, yes and no. Like, not always. They weren't always considered good picks. Some people out there kind of saw the writing on the wall. Saw you know, that, yeah, but yeah, that, and that, that was an average pick, and that, and that, but that's what we want to consume. That's what we want to hear about. We want to hear an informed opinion from people outside of that building to say, hmm, "That's a strange selection." Here's why we think that's a poor selection. And I yeah, think they do a really you, good job of projecting that. Like no one, but you can, no one knows. No one. You knows. can read any like if you read enough stuff, you find enough articles out there about Laquan Treadwell going on to become a Hall of Famer, going on to become a regular All Pro going on to become an absolute bust. And you can read anything in between that continuum if you read enough stuff. It's so real cynical of you here, mate. All over again, hey? Real cynical of you here. Yeah, I am. I just I, 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 I think, think the like, wonderful enjoy the draft for what it enjoy the draft for what it is. Enjoy the kids having their go. Enjoy what your team picks and all that sort of shit. But let's just calm down on all being draft experts and saying that every pick in the, you know, first round is going to go on and become an you know, uh, an, an all pro player. Come on. Like I'm, I'm of the complete opposite thought. Let your, let your thoughts be known. Come at us, come at your friends, come at whoever you want. Whatever, what, like back yourself in to make a projection off of some of these guys. If you are following the game where, where you think that that's a good pick or it's not. And then either feel like an idiot because you've been shown wrong. Like I have in some of my previous projections and, and things that I've done, uh, with you and, and some of the picks I've made or kind of vindicated with some of the stuff. So like, I remember when Lamar Jackson came out, I thought he was going to be a complete flame out. I thought he yeah, had no, no chance of, of standing up in the league. Fuck, I look like an idiot now. Yeah. Although I did enjoy reading that article. Did you see the article about Peyton Manning before the draft? It was like, don't draft this guy. He's going to be the worst player in history. 
whichever team takes him is taking an absolute bum. Rah, rah. It's like, oh yeah, you uh, you missed the boat there, guys. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't know. It's it, it's part of the fun of it. Uh, as you as you mentioned, I I really love the draft. It's one of my favourite sport events across the year. Like. I, I have it on the same level as the Super Bowl. As a, as a college football fan, because the Bears are never fucking competing for the Super Bowl, it, it, it's, it's a big game for me, but I'm never really that dialed into it. I'm probably more looking forward to the draft and what's happening there. I'm sure if the Bears were playing, then yeah, but I, I, I really love it of, of all the sporting events. And as you said, it's kind of the, the build-up the, and the amalgamation of all of the college football that we've watched and these players watching them, the storylines associated with all of them and then the next step in their journey and, and seeing how that plays out. So it's, it's, it's a cool one. Uh, I, I like hearing people's projections, people thinking that, that, you know, it's a great landing spot. It's not and understanding the, the thoughts around that. So this year, like, you know, the, the previous years, is, it was another cracking year. It was obviously different with the whole social distancing, all remote. But I thought it kind of went off without a hitch. Yeah. I, was, I was really expecting some teething issues. I was expecting coverage of it to be a little more awkward. Uh, I, I thought there was going to be more problems around it, but it was fairly clean. I mean, to the point where old mate Roger Goodell was so relaxed uh, oh. at the end, the end of... Of, of what was it the first round that he was just kind of chilling in his chair and he, he was going like to get to the point time. i thought on the sunday he was just going to get to the point where he was just going to stroll out just nude really at one point maybe cross-legged on the on the leather couch and just reading off picks i will say the one thing that i couldn't stand was the whole turning to the, the oh. big board <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Minnesota fans. Where are you? We want to hear from you. Like, oh, and every fucking pick. That, that did the head in. Yeah, that wasn't the worst. And I know this has been banged to death, so I won't um, ram it home too quickly. But um, the whole, like, every time they mention a player and they have had a relative or friend that's died was excruciating. So they need to get past that. Like, this whole soap opera of you know we talked about reality tv and the draft for a lot of is is true reality tv but and the same thing happens in who wants to be a fucking american idol or whatever and we do the same here in australia as well and it's every single contestant has some sort of heartache story that we're supposed to buy into get fucked everybody has issues we know it people die people get ill people have divorces and breakups and get cheated on and lose their jobs and crash their car and their dog dies as well. Like we don't give a fuck really get over yourselves and just tell us about the player. Like unless they do something miraculous, like survive fucking nine 11, get over it. I'm a bit worried that if you are running the production set here, it's going to be real black and white, real up and down. And it's not, not going to be real black and white. It's just, I don't need with every single story to hear how difficult their life has been when in reality, I mean, it may have been, I'm not questioning whether that like, well, that's the thing though. These guys have seen some shit. Like we're coming from a pretty privileged position. Yeah. And so, but so are some of these NFL players as well. Some of that, so are some of these drafted guys, not every single person in the draft had their mum like watched their mum die with a needle in her eye. But some did. And it's probably fair that we hear about that. (laughs) I don't want to labor on this point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. What I also did notice though is some <laughs> of these some of these players, I don't know if they're renting houses, if they're just staying at like their rich friends for the sh- or what the deal is, but they like their places are decked out. Like, have they booked that place for this? Is that their home? Is that like a house that Alabama gave them to play there? Okay. How, okay, how so- does that work? Okay, so keep that point in mind. I'm just going to read off to you the players or the conferences that had the most players picked. And this may give some insight as to why these players, which, you know, based on the background story we've heard about them, come from some really tough backgrounds, some really poor backgrounds. The 63 of these players were drafted by the SEC or came from the SEC. The next closest was the Big Ten with 48. Pac-12 with 32, ACC with 27, and the lonely Big 12 down there with 21 only drafted in terms of Power 5 conferences and players drafted. I would suggest that these players, I mean, you know, Tua's family, they look pretty bloody comfortable sitting up there with their lathes on and their Hawaiian shirts, and they were looking comfortable and cheery, and so they should. So they should. But I dare say there's been some financial assistance from varying academic institutions uh, that these players may or may not be affiliated with. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Let's, let's not dive into that one too much. I feel like I'm, I'm coming in hot tonight. You I are a bit. I, yeah, I am. I'm, I miss football, though. Like I've been watching a few bits and pieces and some highlight stuff, and, and, and I have missed it. But I guess, do, do those numbers tell us anything? Like 63 from the SEC, clear ahead of the Big Ten. Um, and then really the, the Pac-12, ACC and Big 12 kind of in a raffle for the next three spots. Is that just a clear reflection of where we're at at the moment? <sighs> yeah, well, I think it is that. And also it ha- it's been the same for the last few years. Like I, I would be interested to see the last few years in that they would be very similar numbers i'd be surprised to see if there was anything different so it's it's a fair reflection i think on the power of the conferences that we've seen i think the acc is very much propped up by uh clemson at the minute the sec has a few dominant programs i think the, the bottom half's probably dropping away there but they've they've made some really interesting coach hires this year which we're really hoping to see play out on the field but the, the top of the SEC is, is still really good. The top of the Big Ten is really good. And then the rest kind of ha- have their players across, no doubt. So I'm, I'm not shocked by those numbers. I think LSU this year were pretty incredible in, in the amount of talent that you often see. Like it's Alabama have been similar previously. Clemson have been similar when they've won their titles. You, you expect to see a lot of guys from the national championship team taken early on on draft days and and this year was no different so i don't know it's 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 pretty cool i think it's probably a fair reflection though that the sec is the dominant conference uh at the college football level okay well i'll quickly take you through some from a team perspective so lsu had 14 drafted and i believe like the entirety of their starting offense was drafted as well so those guys have probably got Joe Brady to thank for that kind Maybe of Maybe not drafted, but are now signed to an NFL okay. team. So I think I a few apologize. Guys, yeah. Um, so they had 14 guys taken though, LSU. Michigan and Ohio State had 10 respectively. So 
a bit Michigan there is a bit of a surprise for me to have 10 guys taken. I know they came in with a really good offensive line. They had some good defensive pieces, but their skill positions were, you know, average at best. And admittedly, none of their players went super high um, outside of uh, Ruiz, the center. Uh, but Alabama in kind of fourth, I guess, with nine players taken. Clemson, Florida, Georgia, and Utah all had seven, and Auburn and Notre Dame had six each as well. So, again, all the heavy hitters there uh, from, again, mainly representing the SEC, but yeah. Utah jumping in there for the Pac-12. A, a lot 10. of blue bloods, as you'd expect. Yeah. I guess, as a Michigan fan, you're probably disappointed to hear that, though. Yeah. You don't want to be hearing that you have so many pro-caliber level athletes on your team and yet you're getting comprehensively beaten by Ohio State and you're still not competing for the Big Ten Championship. Like, you hear those numbers, should be a level playing field, should be a lot closer than what it feels like it is. So that's probably disappointing for them, but I don't know. The the Harbour experience rolls on and... The Shea Patterson experience does not, though. And maybe maybe a change at quarterback is the is the ticket for them. I don't know. Bingo. Maybe something a bit Bingo. different. All right. So All I right. think today we were hoping to run through uh, each of the rounds and you and I were going to pluck a player yep. that stands out for us. Yeah, I think so. The rounds. One that we like, kind of remember from, from, from his time at the college football level and that we like the landing spot for him uh, and can see him potentially having an impact. So Okay, I... I guess I didn't go the landing spot so much. I was more like guys that I think have got a pro career ahead of them because let's, let's be realistic here. Most guys in round six and seven don't last longer than probably about a year and a half. So, uh, you know, I, I just think these guys have got pro potential, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going to hold you to it, mate. Don't worry. Well, by the sounds of it, you are. All right. Our listeners Num- will. Num- number one for me is nice and easy. I think Chase Young was the best player in the draft he was uh, just such a polarizing figure and i think you'll see i'll touch on a very similar player later in terms of a a memory of a particular player who probably fits a similar mold and you know a lot of guys aren't going to watch the defensive line or offensive line at the snap of the ball a lot of guys look elsewhere whether it's quarterback or you know whatever but you cannot help but watch Chase Young, particularly off that right edge, uh, just wreaking havoc and doing a whole, whole heap of damage for Ohio State. So for me, he was he's one that I think is a surefire, you know, uh, multiple, multiple double-digit sack years in the NFL. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you here. When we were sharing notes before we came on the air, I was kind of like, Chase Young. Oh, yeah, that's why I'm going. I'm like, yeah, that's that's a good call. He he just he was such a stud. I think that there's no fault in his game. Like he's the physical makeup, the mental makeup, the production, everything we've seen leads us to believe that he's going to be a stud at the next level. So 100% agree with you there, mate. Uh, mine's Andrew Thomas, the tackle who was selected fourth overall uh, by the Giants. Mm-hmm. Unusual to see the Giants, in my eyes, taking making a good selection this early in, in the draft. <laughs> Dave Gettleman, uh, I don't know, he's, he's made some head scratches in, in my mind recently. But this one was 
probably not the consensus first overall tackle, but I really like it. I really like Andrew Thomas in terms of being a rounded prospect out of Georgia. I think he can step in, play that left tackle position straight away and be an immediate upgrade for that offense. And that's what you're looking for. And, and I think he has a long-term future ahead of him. So I, I really like the selection there. And I think that's a, a really, really solid pick. And if he goes on to play 10 years as your left tackle, then you've absolutely nailed that. And I see the, that potential, certainly. Yeah, I'm not sure. Andrew Thomas was not one that was my favorite tackle prospect. He... He's big and he's intimidating, but I think he's seen. I don't think he's a left tackle at the NFL. I think he's going to play on the right. He's better in the run game than the pass game. He's got a few issues around balance, which is not good against speed rushing types. I just can't imagine him. Where did he actually end up? New York. So who's he going to get? Dallas, uh, uh, Washington. So he's going to get Chase Young twice a year. Uh, and who's the other one in that division? Philadelphia. I don't know the def- I don't know the NFL that well, but he's going to get the defensive ends off those guys a fair bit. I just don't. For me, I would have some concerns about his ability to play at offensive tackle. I think he's more likely to start by sliding inside and and playing guard early, maybe on right tackle, and then potentially sliding across to left. But I'm not sure if that's in his future. Okay. All right, let's continue to move on. For me, round two at the top of the second round, and it was interesting watching that Indianapolis Colts draft day thing where they had them all chatting away. I'm sure you watched it. It was all over Facebook and stuff like that. Um, But Michael Pittman Jr. out of USC, big, strong, physical guy, maybe the best wide receiver in the draft, potentially, or wouldn't surprise me for him to go and become the best of the lot just because his physical attributes are so off the chain. And again, another good landing spot, maybe a little bit of a team without a quarterback, but um, I would say Michael Pittman Jr. The other mention I do need to give there in the second round is Cole Komet was a really good pick for the Chicago Bears as well. Yeah, I see what you're doing there and I'm not biting. Uh, it's, it's frustrating that we had to pick up our 10th tight end to really nail down that position, but... If that's what we're doing in Chicago, then that's that's sweet. Um, how, was your, how was your first round pick as well? Khalil Mack is just fine, so don't <laughs> you worry about that. He's he's going to eat if the the boys get to play this year. So yeah, okay. Uh, Pittman for me, I'm I'm not huge on it. Like I think he's okay, but I certainly don't have him as the top receiving prospect this year. You talk about like elite uh, athletic traits. He he put up what a four five forty, which is not slow by any means but it's not elite quickness i mean yes he is six four and 220 so <laughs> at that size yes he is traveling but i think the way he plays is much more possession type receiver yeah. he, he, he's not a burner he's not that kind of when when you think about the real playmakers like your julio jones your odell beckham he's he's not that type of player He's more more possession than those guys are. And I think he could very well go on to have a very productive career in the NFL. But for me, he's not a top five receiver, top 10 receiver, like stud. I think he's more a serviceable, going to churn out, you know, sol- solid production numbers without being a superstar of the league. 
okay. where I see the potential of your Judy and your Lamb could do have that superstar potential. Okay. Um, that's my take on it. Second round for me is my boy, Jonathan Taylor. Uh, same team. So they, they've absolutely nailed it. And, and you did share that with me. So I hadn't seen that, uh, that Colts uh, footage. And I certainly recommend it to anyone any who is into American football and, and hasn't seen it yet. Look it up. It, it's kind of the... It's Zoom. Chris Ballard, really, isn't it? Like, yeah, the, it, it's the, the Zoom whole. footage of their draft day. Uh, and it's Chris Ballard as the general manager kind of coordinating the troops, speaking to all of the scouts, talking to the head coach, talking to the owners, talk, like sorting that all out. And then the process that goes in behind them making their picks and then them having their conversations with their picks and, and all of that sort of stuff. It was, it was really cool insight and I really enjoyed it. So I think it's certainly worth a watch. Uh, and they grabbed Pittman with their first and then they got Taylor with the second. So two absolute playmakers, as they say in that. Jonathan Taylor, for me, is the best running back in this class. He has real potential to be a superstar running back at the next level. I love the landing spot. I mean, their offensive line is top five in the league. So for him to walk into that situation where Philip Rivers, who's kind of getting on in age, a bit of a gunslinger, but is, is also going to want to run the ball a little bit with, with what they have up front. He does have a very capable running mate in Marlon Mack in that he's not going to have to carry the load 100%, but I still think they're going to lean on him when it counts. I, I really like everything about this landing spot, uh, about the player himself. So Jonathan Taylor for me in the second round is, is an awesome, awesome spot and fit. Okay, cool. We'll try not to deep dive too much into the NFL side of things, although Will can't help himself. For me, round three, Neville Gallimore, the D tackle out of Oklahoma, who's headed to Big D. Uh, Canadian born and was not getting the kind of, I guess, limelight and, and play up there that he wanted. So he obviously had to come down, uh, got a lot of offers and he was talked about as one of the better defensive tackles in this draft. He's a bit more of your kind of three tech type interior lineman, a better pass rusher than a run stopper. And he has got a high, high ceiling. I remember the Canes recruiting him out of high school and, thought that he was going to potentially make the move from Canada down to South Florida, but that didn't happen. But he has developed into a really, really good one. Okay. Uh, interesting selection there. I'm staying on the offensive side of the ball in the third round, and I'm going with Devin Duvernay out of Texas, wide receiver who landed Should with Baltimore. Should have seen that coming. <laughs> um, I mean, he's, he's a bit shorter, not quite six foot, but just absolute sure hands. That's, that's what I love about his game. He, he for Texas this year, he had something insane, like uh, 106 catches on 126 targets. Like that catch rate is out of this world. He, he, so he dropped 20 balls. That's disappointing. No, but I, th- I think with zero drops. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, the, like these are targets. So yeah. he, he, he I, I honestly think he has the best hands in this draft and that was on display uh, at his time at Texas. He's also quick, like runs sub four, 440. Uh, he gets to partner up with a pretty young core that they have building in Baltimore there with uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, your boy Marquise Brown, 
uh, Miles Boykin, Not Mark mine. Andrews, uh, a whole heap of stuff, young, young tools happening there. And I, I'm keen to see how he develops because he really came into his own uh, last year at Texas. And, and I think it's a good landing spot for him. Okay. Yeah, cool. He'll do things. <laughs> um, me, round four, I love a giant Polynesian nose tackle. So Lakey Fotu were out of Utah. Uh, he's gone to the Cardinals and yeah, I, he is a man mountain. He'll throw people around. He was talked about as being a kind of a bigger name in the draft this year, but he went quiet towards the back end of the year and, and teams looking for that, that nose guard. If you can find a good one in the NFL, they're worth their weight in gold. I don't know if he's going to be that, but Hey, he, he's a big dude and I like the way he goes about it. Yeah, no, he certainly is a big dude and th- that is a good pick. He, he was really, really important to Utah, I feel. I think those, those space-eating guys certainly don't put up the numbers that match the importance that they have to the team. Uh, he, he's certainly going to be missed and I think that's a, he's a, a really good get because of his ability to just chew up uh, blockers and, and let people work around him. Uh, for me in the fourth, it's Colby Parkinson. No, so, really? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I went tight end out of Stanford. And and he's one that probably didn't have a huge season last year. He in was better terms than the year before. Of, exactly right. Like, I think statistically he was better last year. Like, he, yeah. he, he went for 600 yards. But I think... In 2018, he was kind of breaking out as the next big tight end out of Stanford who, who was going to kind of go on to the NFL. And I think people expected uh, a bigger jump than what they got last year. But Stanford were bad. They were fucking yeah. terrible last year. So <laughs> he, he was kind of caught up in that mess. He was drafted relatively highly, taken in the fourth round. It's probably higher than I expected. But he gets in a good spot in Seattle who have Greg Olson, who's ancient uh and is someone good to sit behind uh they have big big country will disley who just can't stay fucking healthy so i I see him in a in a spot that's obviously close to home uh and i think colby parkinson for me is one that can can continue his arc uh to develop in the nfl and be a productive tight end at that level Okay, cool. In rounds five and six, I'm going like, to go... I don't like that Sorry. it's kind of like a... Okay, cool. Like, it's it's a real passive-aggressive. Like, it's not very supportive of you. I'm not that big on Colby Parkinson. I think he did some good stuff, but Stanford's offense was a mess. He looks his best when he kind of... They used to use him flexed at times and they would look to match him up on a either try and motion him to a position where he's out in a linebacker or get him matched up on a cornerback and he could just bully people. Here we go. Uh, See, this is the insight that the people want to hear. I shouldn't have to coax this out of you, my friend. Uh, dude, it's fucking late. It, it is, is late. but it's a Friday it's night. Yeah, I'm old now, mate. I'm old. And I ate like a whole family-sized pizza. I'm fucking knackered. Mm. There it is. There's the <laughs> truth. We're all hearing what, what this is now. 
All right. So rounds five and six, uh, New York Jets. I've, I've doubled down on some Jets. I think they had a pretty good draft. In round five, the cornerback out of Virginia, Bryce Hall, was injured last year, but had like first round draft grades early last year um, and slid as a result of that. But he could be a fantastic one. And Braden Mann, since we're a, we're, we're a punting people's show, and so Braden Mann did a whole lot of damage at Texas A&M, put up some elite numbers, record-breaking numbers, in fact. And he could be one that uh, joins, I guess, the elite of the punting pros in the NFL. And, you know, maybe Dixon has got his work cut out for him now as, as being kind of the number one guy or new kid on the block at that's for sure. So two Jets for me, rounds five and six. Okay, yeah. I mean, Braden Mann certainly deserved of the honour of being drafted because he was so dominant at that punter position. We saw that all over the last two years. He, he was quite incredible. So that's a good call. I'll double down on Wolverines then. Uh, if, if you've okay. gone Jets, I'm going Wolverines. Round five, my boy Kaliki Hudson. Yeah, he slid. He did slide, but he also never produced anything. So it's not a huge <laughs> shot. You know what I mean? Why? Uh, and then, Where did they... Sorry to just if we can hang on him for a second, but why the big raps then that he had? Because he was always named as kind of the next um, tweener safety slot linebacker guy that could do it all sort so of it, thing. It, but... It's like physical traits. Yeah. The, the dude has all the traits that you want in someone like he's... Uh, Nearly six foot, two twenty pounds, four five, and can like hit like no one else. Like he lays the wood like a linebacker, can cover like a safety. Like that's kind of what you hear about his game. It's just it never really translated on the field. He he was never the difference maker that I think they were hoping he would show out to be. Mm. Uh, he obviously landed in a perfect position for a player like that in Washington. That's that's just for me a fucking match made in heaven because that's the sort of dude that Washington go after, someone who's got all these sweet physical traits who's never really kind of pulled it together <laughs> and just hoping that they're going to be the team to do that. So it's okay, Washington have always had really good coaching, so they'll be able to coach him up. Times are changing there. They got Riverboat Run now. <laughs> yeah. I'll back that in. I'm looking to. I'm I'm looking forward to watching that uh, that one play out, but. I had him there and then his teammate, Donovan's Peoples-Jones, another physical specimen, another five-star kid. I believe they were both five stars uh, entering the program at Michigan. Another one who probably underwhelmed with his performance on the field, uh, lit it up at the combine, as you can expect. I think he set the highest uh, jump. What's the, what's the one where they jump straight up? Vertical jump? Is it, that, that would make sense. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well done. Well done. Uh, I think he set like a record or at least like the highest that's been recorded in the last 10 years or something in, in that space. I like, jumped through the roof. So he is has all the tools. I'm not huge on the landing spot in Cleveland just because there's a lot of mouths to feed in there and it's a fucking dysfunctional organization. <laughs> like, I don't wish any college players' careers going there. Uh, my boy Brandon Whedon would have been a Hall of Famer if he hadn't have been drafted there. I'm certain of that. <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I think he's one to just watch. Just like though. Justin Blackman, 
He would have been a Hall of Famer. He went to what the fucking Jags? Another he went to prison. That's where he went. <laughs> no, no, he went to court on a few minor marijuana-related misdemeanors. It's a big difference. Guy likes smoking weed. Whatever, it's legal now. <laughs> he should have gone to Seattle. He would have fucking thrived. <laughs> Unlucky. All right, let's go round seven. Uh, I've picked a couple of guys here. I think the top of the seven, Marcus Bailey from Purdue. I really liked undersized linebacker, but can run and hit. Uh, he's ended up at Cincinnati. So if he can just put his head in the hole and knock some people out, then he'll fit right in at Cincinnati. Um, but I think he's one that slid. He had big raps on him into his junior season. I think he might've even been a preseason All-American or certainly... Um, like a Lombardi preseason watch list guy and all this kind of stuff. And he just he just never quite happened for him. He had a few injuries and stuff, but I think he could be one if he can sort his body out. He's a bit undersized, but he could be a good one. And the other one for me is Jonathan Garvin out of Miami. That is a homer pick. He's a defensive end, but had is a physical specimen, can run, uh, is has a relatively good first step. Unfortunately, the red flags on him are his laziness and work ethic, which is not a great thing at the NFL level. But if Green Bay can get the most out of him, he would be the sort of one that will stick around because I think he's got, you know, top, certainly top half of the draft athleticism. Sounds like a Miami prospect if I've ever heard one. Fucking listen to it. Uh, For me in the seventh, it's Eno Benjamin out of Arizona State. He was good fun to watch. I think he's, he's, Worth a fly in the seventh, like staying yeah. close to home uh, at Arizona. I think they obviously have Kenyon Drake there with uh, who's Chase Edmonds as the backup there. But David Johnson, he's he's been traded, mate. <laughs> that was a really good trade as well. I think wasn't it? Yep, yep. You're all over it. You're across it. <laughs> yeah. um, I love the NFL. <laughs> But I, I see him projecting as a, a decent receiving back at the next level. I think he has those, those chops to his game. Uh, he, he was productive at the college level. I mean, he ran for 1,600 yards in 2018, which is just huge. Last year, that took a significant stop back, a step back with Herm on board. Uh, had less usage, was somewhat less productive, but I still think the talent is there. So at the seventh round, I'm, I'm certainly interested to see how he plays out sticking around in the desert. Yeah, he'd be one of the ones that probably took the biggest slide almost of any player across that 12-month college football season because there was talk that he could even be one of the top one or two backs off the board. And to think, slide yeah, all going the way into to, the year, absolutely. Going into the year, yeah. And then to slide all the way down to the seventh round, gee, that is a, a massive fall from grace. And it shows just how long a year is and, and can be in college football. And the same can happen the other way as well. Travis Etienne decides to come back to school. His stock was relatively high. Um, but if he has a flat year this year or a non-year this year, then I don't know what that's going to do for his draft yeah. stock. Or there's going to be my boy Chuba Hubbard who his stock is already super high. He's going to win the Heisman and a whole bunch of other awards. You reckon I spew some shit. <laughs> you, so far this show, you've said that Tuba Hubbard's going to win a Heisman and that Brandon Whedon would have been a Hall of Famer if he didn't end up in Cleveland. 
and I stand by both of those comments <laughs> now that they've been played back to me. Okay. Okay. Um, let's get into some quick, I say quick, but this could really extend deep into the night. Uh, some memoirs, some thoughts and, and feelings and, and a recap, a reflection, potentially a time of reflection here on we both picked a player, a game and a moment that have meant things to us or had a significant impact on our college football experience. So we're going to explore those and I'm going to let you kick things off and you can start in whichever one of those three categories you would like. Uh, but this is a chance for us to wind the clock back a little bit and, and talk about some players or things that happened in college football that have stayed with us and probably stayed with most people and left echoes or memories for sometimes lifetimes and certainly over the last decade as well. Yeah, thanks. I mean, now we're in this ISO mode, it is a time of reflection. You find yourself spending all this bloody time by yourself. You kind of left with nothing else but to think of things that have uh, happened previously. So we thought we would target a few things that have meant something to us at the college football level and and take some specific options here. So uh, I'm going to kick things off with uh, a player that really stands out to me from the college football level. Uh, And it's a bit bit of an odd one, bit bit that uh, most, like there would be, I don't know, a handful of Australians who know this person is. Uh, just kind of where he's at in, in the obscurity of things. But Taylor Mays, uh, who, he was a safety at the University of Southern California between uh, the years 2006 to 2009. Uh, so this was really on the back of when I was first kind of getting into college football. Uh, we had that Rose Bowl, uh, was that 2005, Vince Young, uh, Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, game and that was kind of the hook that was what pulled me in and then obviously on the back of that I'm I'm looking at USC I'm looking at Texas I'm looking at the other big programs and I'm playing a lot of NCAA and when I'm doing this there's a guy who is six foot three 240 fucking pounds and he runs sub four four playing the safety position so this is like a linebacker running around center field, just looking for opportunities to light a dude up. So every opportunity I got, I'm playing him on the sticks, NCAA, and just absolutely a not like hit sticking constantly. <laughs> opportunity to pick? No, nah, fuck that. I'm going to light this dude up yep, yep. in this virtual game. Uh, yeah, I mean... Then watching him play in real life, he'd do the same thing. He was just a monster of a man. So as, as in terms of like college football players, he really stood out for me. I have a Taylor Mays jersey. Do you? Oh, yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. And it's one of those ones where I think he was kind of obscure enough that he was playing at the same time Joe McKnight was. Now, and he was the freakishly fast scat backy type. Was he the one that passed away? Uh, I don't know about that, but... I think... Yeah, anyway... But they had the same number, so I think you could buy like a Joe McKnight jersey. Or like you obviously can't buy players' jerseys, but you would get you could that. Buy the and, number, yeah. and I think it was probably more prevalent for people to be getting the Joe McKnight version of it. But I was all about Taylor May, so I have that to this day. Okay, um, yeah, I remember Taylor May's. I guess 
I wasn't quite into college football at this stage. I was looking at Taylor Mays through the eyes of the draft and the Buccaneers. And I know that around this time, um, John Lynch, now the GM at San Francisco 49ers, was coming to the end of his career. And we were looking at, at safeties. And, and I was really hoping that this guy would be there when the Bucks picked. He wasn't. Uh, he was drafted by San Francisco, I think, in the end. But he was just an absolute weapon or, and looked at He never really put it together. He played on, what, seven, six or seven NFL franchises. He collected but, some Guernseys for sure. Yeah, he did. But he was a three-time first-team All-American at the college level. Uh, he played four years of college football and was, yeah. He was a productive starter as a freshman. Yeah, he was particularly dominant and a real physical specimen. I, I really enjoyed looking and researching around him, I suppose, because I didn't get to... We didn't see that translate at the NFL level, which was a, a bit Do you different. think if I go back to play this year, if the two of us come out of retirement, get back <laughs> to playing this year, this that good. I should rock the Taylor Mays headband? Like, you know how he wears the kind of, like, yeah, wide-ass headband? Yeah, like the kind of Roger Federer style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think I should rock that? No, I do, I do not. Think I definitely think I should do that. I, I don't think you should do that. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, an, it's an option. It's Maybe we'll just we'll, we'll put that on the back burner and we'll think about that later. Um, I'm gonna go, we're going to go from one physical specimen to another physical specimen. And this particular player i remember uh well he came on the scene a little bit later than taylor mays did but he i remember watching a college football recruiting tape so his high school video tape uh when he was looking to be recruited he was the number one guy in his class in 2010 and i was looking at some buccaneers uh, some tampa bay stuff because that's who i shamefully and embarrassingly support uh it's been tough sledding for us as bucks fan but i remember watching him kick around and and i just saw him destroy a right tackle followed by a running back who would have weighed maybe like 50 kilos ringing wet this skinny white dude like his his tight like under skins were baggy on him like it was and then all of a sudden there's this six foot six 110 kilo weapon running at him and he just kind of what can only be explained as getting like you know at the end of like a round of like Tekken or Mortal Kombat when someone gets fly kicked and their body just ends up like horizontal and getting like thrown back like five meters. That's effectively what happened to this little running back. I'm pretty sure he's still in a coma at the moment, actually. And then Jadavian Clowney just, you know, smoked this quarterback after that as well. So he came out uh, as this complete unit, ran a 4.640 in high school, played a little bit of running back as well, which would have been horrifying <laughs> if you're trying to tackle that. Um, and he went off to South Carolina. I think the reason that made him not only seeing some high school footage, because that was probably my first experience looking at a high school video of, of football players and then seeing them develop into NFL players was kind of weird. But he then went on to have a career where by his halfway through his sophomore year, there was talk for probably the first time I remember. It may not be the first time ever, but of him either sitting out his junior year or 
getting an insurance policy on his own body in case he did get injured uh, to obviously insulate against any potential financial loss if he was to go down with anything you know, long-term from an injury perspective. So that was the first time I really kind of saw that. In his sophomore year, he put up 23 and a half tackles for a loss, 13 sacks. Uh, but he'll probably most be remembered for that hit on Vincent Smith, the Michigan running back in the Outback Bowl, where I think the play before, you'll be able to remember this and correct me on this one, Will, but I think the play before, as you've got your porn leather chair up, which is really nice, uh, Michigan got a really favorable spot. Like the Lions judge just came in from the sideline and moved the ball forward. And then they did a measure and they got the first down. And then it appeared like Clanny was just like fucking, it seemed like it was, there was something weird going on there. And then Clowney just comes through the line, crushes the running back fumble, and then just like palms it with one hand. Um, and, he was just a physical specimen, an absolute dominant. And this is the link I wanted to make to Chase Young. It felt like those two players were quite similar in the way you watch them. They just could absolutely destroy a game and a game plan in a heartbeat. Unfortunately, his NFL career hasn't you know, done the same thing. I don't think he's ever put up double-digit sacks, but you could never take your eyes off him at South Carolina. Yeah, I think that seems to be the common comp for uh, Chase Young is Jadavian Clowney. And you can see it just in the natural traits that they have. Like these guys are built unlike most humans yeah. in, in that, you know, they've, they've got that height. They're both six, five, six, six, 270 pounds, but they look nimble. Like when we're talking 270 pounds, how many kilos is that? Like it's like buck 30, right? Yeah, I think, uh, Chase Young wouldn't be that heavy yet. But whatever it is, they're heavy yeah. dudes, but yeah, they don't yeah. look it. Yeah, yeah. They, they look and are light on their feet. Well, they're, they're sleek. They're flexible. They, they're, yeah. yeah, they're just, they're a rare breed. And he is certainly one of the more athletic specimens to ever grace the college football field and then go on to the pros to do the same. I think he's probably a bit harsh in terms of what he's been able to achieve. I think his numbers are, are a little bit better than what you're saying there. I think he's obviously out of a contract at the moment and someone's going to pay him. It's just they're, they're kind of waiting for that market to land. But Has he ever had double-digit sacks? Absolutely, surely. I don't think he has. Really? I don't think so. Like is it, for someone who came out and he was coming into the game. Is it because well, JJ Watts injury. getting them all? No. <laughs> well, he, I mean, he's had a lot of injuries. He, could, he couldn't stay on the field at Houston. Um, and it, for someone who was like when Chase Young gets picked, you're expecting him to go on and he needs to have a team of the decade kind of career. You would think that's what you're expecting at the least. At the most, he's a Hall of Famer. The same thing from Jadavian Clowney. He just didn't, it hasn't materialized for him in the NFL. Um, has he still been a weapon at times? Sure. But, you know, the, I can give you numbers of players that have had double digit sacks and, and he hasn't. So, um, yeah, I don't know. You're putting a lot of credence in this sack stat. That's what you get paid for. <laughs> that's what you get paid for. Like that's a, his job. Like, sounds like a Miami supporter. Jeez, uh, oh, what is this shit? You love Khalil Mack. That's the only thing he's on the team to do. It's not absolutely not. He he 
commands a double team every time. He makes the defense better by being out there. He closes down the passing windows of quarterbacks. So whilst he's not getting sacks every time, he's still making the defense better, making the cornerbacks better, opening up opportunities just purely by being out there. And I think Clowney's that sort of player. I'm not disagreeing with you. All I'm saying is that there's probably... You're just boiling it all down to one number. And I I don't know (laughs) if that's right. (laughs) This is coming from old analytics Murden over there. Exactly. There's more than one number. There's a whole bunch of numbers you need to chuck into your spreadsheets. (laughs) Yeah, they never work out. All right. My game that I am going to focus on as we move past our players is a really strange one. It's nothing particularly special um, some players in this particular game were Andrew Luck, Kobe Fleener, Marquise Lee, Robert Woods, Chris Owusu, Zach Ertz, David DeCastro, a whole bunch of guys that ended up playing in the NFL. If you can't work it out from that, this was a Stanford-USC game. Now, this was in 2011. I assume that I watched this with you, but it was clear that I didn't. It went to triple overtime. It was the first time, I think, that I'd watched a game that I really wanted to go to overtime. Like, I just wanted those Sunday afternoons to roll or you know yeah Sunday early Sunday afternoon to roll into the deep afternoon and pack 12 late start and then like it's the last game everything else is over maybe if we can get to overtime that'd be great and this one went to triple overtime um, back and forth the entire game I remember Levine Tialolo who was a massive huge six foot eight tight end making a play at the end um, and this was a, a Stanford team that went on over those years, won a lot of um, packed, well, played in a lot of Pac 12 championship games. It was sort of between them and Oregon in the North. Um, but it was the David Shaw era at its absolute height. And he was undefeated, I believe, after this game. Um, and then not only that, that year, it was a bit of a strange year in other pl- parts of the country as well, because uh, probably at about the same time, actually, it would have been a few weeks later. Uh, Oklahoma State went to Ames, Iowa uh, in what should have been a relatively easy whoa, game. Whoa, whoa. where's this win, coming from? A win there. Yeah, fuck you. Have a go at me about my Miami fandom. Um, they go to Ames, Iowa, and all they needed was a regulation win. Got themselves up 24 points, and it seemed all cherry. They were going to the national championship for the first time in history, and then they rolled over and fell in a monumental heap and ended up playing Stanford in the Fiesta Bowl and getting their way with them. But um, that was also the same year that Alabama beat LSU in a very boring national championship game, but after their controversial selection, after losing to LSU earlier in the year. So a whole bunch of different things going on around the country. Uh, But, you know, a really, really entertaining game you had. So so what is it that stands out to you? What's the, what's the main (sighs) thing that we're talking like nine years on and this one grabbed you? Yeah. I I think for some reason, I remember you being there, which obviously we have worked out that that's impossible because you were in America and I definitely wasn't at this time. I think it was one of those moments where, or one of those games where it was entertaining from start to finish. I think sometimes due to the length of football, sometimes you can drift in and out of games and that didn't happen in this one. It was continually entertaining and a little bit of a wild one, so to speak. Uh, It was the overtime, which I probably hadn't experienced a whole heap of in its entirety. I had what following the NFL game, but this was probably in the you know very fledgling years of my experience 
my true experience with college football um, as a, as a, I suppose, a, a broad spectrum watcher. I was certainly a little bit narrow early in the piece. So I was still learning a lot at this point. And this one just stuck with me. And, and I, I'm not even really sure why. I think, uh, again, I was, I was following a lot of these players into the NFL. And, you know, it was, it was just a game that the entertainment factor, the potential significance, I mean, it obviously didn't have great national championship kind of outcomes for either of these teams, but it just felt like a game where all, all of a sudden it was crazy and it was so much more entertaining than what I had remembered from my experience watching lots of other NFL games, which to me felt like you could play for two or three hours. And really it came down to that last two minutes. Whereas this thing was back and forth the whole time. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm also going 2011. Obviously this is when I was over in uh, America and Humble for, brag. I mean, I don't know. I don't, is it? I was there. Uh, <laughs> This one it was uh, etched in my memory. It's one of the better days of my life. Like there's still parts of it that I remember happily that it, it just, it was so much fun and it, it was the 2011 Bedlam game. So Oklahoma. I've got a child now as well. Just keep that I in mind. I said one man. of the better days. So it's right up there with her birth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hand in hand um but yeah it was it was one of those ones where it was late in the year oklahoma state had been rolling they're a very good team we knew that a win here would take clinch the the big 12 championship it would essentially be probably the best season in oklahoma state history and the talk around campus was we're storming the field if we win and <laughs> I mean, Oklahoma, I think we're ranked 14 at the time. We were three. It was kind of, we're going to win because we're beating everyone. But uh, we're storming the field. And the game, like the way it played out, it was, it was domination from Oklahoma State. They really controlled offensively, defensively, turnovers. Like it, it was kind Wait, of... what? You controlled defensively? Absolutely. This was a team this year that just managed, like, I don't know if it was luck or whatever, <laughs> but... They, Definitely their, luck. Their turnover rate was insane. Like, it was the, the highest in the, the nation by a wide margin. So that continued. I think they had five turnovers. Whedon was doing his thing. Joseph Randall ran for 150 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Blackman caught his hundred yards. Like it, it, it was just perfect. And I, was he I high the whole time, or I still vividly remember because I was lucky enough to kind of get front row seats in the student section for all of our games as an unofficial usher to help people get to their seats. I was able to <laughs> usher people and myself straight down to the front row every game. Uh, so I was there for that. And as kind of the games wrapping up, the security guards are forming uh kind of like an arc around on on the ground of the stadium and it's quite a big drop off it would have been like 10 feet drop down from the stadium onto the field and they're all standing down there and we're kind of looking at them and they're like we're like you're not going to stop us you can't stop us there's there's 60,000 people here we're coming on 
And one of the guards is looking up at us and he looks at the person next to him. I can still fucking remember it. I can't remember shit, but I remember <laughs> this. He looks at the person next to him and he goes, first one that comes down, just punch him in the face and then the rest <laughs> won't come down. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, All right, I'm going to jump over that way at this other guy. <laughs> <laughs> this guy a wide berth because he's obviously not all there and then sure enough as soon as the final whistle went we just start piling over like everyone's coming on the field and then it's just a mad scramble like i don't know what are you doing that i'd, I'd never really kind of rehearsed it i didn't know what the done thing you just kind of run out there right like you run into the middle of the field and then like you're with a player and you're kind of like yeah i don't know you uh, and then there are players that you do know and you're like, hey man, he's like, hey, I'm getting my helmet on because I'm getting poked in the eyes and shit. And like, it was, it was just crazy. So everyone comes on the field, everyone's like in this ecstatic mood. And then like the whole crowd kind of goes, all right, we're here. What do we do now? Goalposts, they're coming down. So you can kind of see everyone turns, they go down there, start pulling the goalposts. Sure enough, out of the ground. Yeah, we got them. And then, like, simultaneously, the whole crowd goes to the other end. Let's get those ones too. And then you, like, everyone runs down there, pulls those goalposts out of the ground. And Nothing then, like celebratory destruction of oh, property. I, yeah, it, but it's just in the moment. It's brilliant. We're, we're having so much fun. Uh, you kind of destroying then, your own stadium. But, but then, what do you do, right? Like you've got these. You kind of like climb up on it. Yeah, this is fun. You're marching it around. Then, all right, let's march it up into the stands. So, like this whole engineering feat of people like climbing up and like helping it up, so we can get it up in the stands and march around the stand. It was. How did they get it out of the stands? I, I, th- I don't think they did. I know it started to get broken down. I, I remember being at the bars later that night and someone being like, I got part of it. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool, man. That's, that is a handy souvenir you got there. I write that. So, yeah, right. it, was, it was just such a, such a scene, so much good fun. I think at the end of the day, there were 11 hospitalizations. <laughs> Uh, some kid How many broke, of them were you responsible for? Well, no, this is like people jumping on the field. Some kid broke his ankle. Someone <laughs> ended up in hospital because they tried to jump over the player's race where you, that, like it had like a soft cover over the player's race. And I think he assumed he could jump on it and slide down. Kind of like just, Aladdin does? Is that yeah, like- yeah, yeah, yeah. It was real <laughs> Aladdin shit except like reality hit and he jumped on it and went straight through and fell like 15 feet into the tunnel and like cracked his tailbone. So it was funny reading about that in the news the next day, but man, that was, that was an all timer. Okay. Uh, I'm going to move on before you bloody moisten your pants here. Um, a moment that sticks with us. And this one I definitely did. There is no question. I definitely watched this game with you. In fact, we watched both of the games that pertain to this particular incident. But this one will forever be known as the kick six game or, you know, the kick six occurred. And it was the Iron Bowl in 2013. A particularly overrated Auburn team led by Nick Marshall. They also had Trey Mason and Cameron Artis Payne, I think, were the running backs. Uh, in that team Um, on the other side you had a far more talented Alabama team in AJ McCarron Amari Cooper well AJ McCarron not so much TJ Yeldon OJ Howard and this was around about the time that what's his face the commentator got in trouble for 
talking about how hot AJ McCarron's girlfriend was. Fair shout though. <laughs> oh, well, and that was kind of part of the whole scene. When, when this event happened, I remember there was a few things. There was the Auburn guy, I don't know who he was, like a linebacker or something, standing on the sideline, just like grinning into his helmet. He was like holding his helmet over his mouth and he was just like, what the hell is going on? You've got people jumping on Chris Davis um, and then you've got AJ McCarron jogging off the field to be consoled by his, um, you know, fiance and parents and all this kind of stuff as if his life is so hard. Uh, but, you know, with the, I guess for those people that don't know, go back and watch it. You've probably seen it already, but game tied. Alabama completes a pass with a second to go or the player runs out of bounds and they're not quite sure what's happened. So Nick Saban fights really, really hard for a, um, for that extra second to go back on the clock so he can give Cade Foster an attempt at like a 56-yard field goal, something like that. Meanwhile, Auburn's Chris Davis stands in the end zone. The ball falls short and he ends up taking it 100-plus yards back to the house uh, in one of the most improbable victories ever. But it wasn't just that event that was ridiculous. Uh, Although I remember turning and looking to you and just going, what the hell? Because we thought that one was going overtime. And we're like, yep, sweet, we've got an overtime game. This is going to be epic. It was a good game anyway. Um, and, you know, it never made it that far. Instead, we saw one of the craziest moments in college football history and potentially ever and certainly in the last decade. But this was the week after I'd watched or we had watched again together three Georgia DBs drop a game ceiling interception with about 40 seconds to go. And they dropped the ball into the lap of Ricardo Lewis, who ended up, running for an unlikely 73-yard touchdown in the last, you know, yeah, like that last minute the week prior. And this kind of lucky season ran out of juice against Florida State in the national championship game. I think Kelvin Benjamin might have caught the last touchdown for Florida State. I think I assume that was famous Jameis. Um, it was. Would have been the quarterback then. But that was just a crazy couple of weeks for Auburn, pulling games out of their absolute you'd never see a two-game combination like that happen ever um and you know they were they weren't a great team by any means they were led by their defense uh, but that was one of the most bananas moments and i remember just turning and looking to you and like what the hell has just happened that is unbelievable yeah and i'm with you on that i mean that's a moment that really stands out for me too i it's one that immediately jumped when we talked about doing something around things that jumped out for us this is certainly one that was at the forefront of my mind as well it was a game that we were both really dialed into obviously the week before was so epic and it's like how can you ever top that and then (laughs) it happened and it was just kind of like what the college football is so cool like yeah yeah yeah. this is so much fucking fun so i agree with you on that one it was it was bloody awesome and it's it's part of the the whole piece of this game you know like they they weren't Mm. supposed to to win that one that they weren't supposed to really be in with a shot but they were and then to have that play out you you couldn't script something better so yeah and i think I think kind of this combination of all these games, we're getting these sorts of results. And again, like I said, this was probably at this stage or a few years later. And, you know, I'm now in the, in, into the guts of, of college football and, and we're getting, and I'm getting this experience on a weekly basis. So then when we look at seasons like the 2018 season, 
I'd been spoiled up until that point almost. And, and I wasn't getting this kind of experience that year. It was very predictable, run of the mill kind of stuff. And um, so I, you know, I certainly have been spoiled in that kind of, in that kind of space. And you just need to go, there's heaps of YouTube clips out there, but even if you just go and watch like top moments of the last decade, there's like an hour long clip and there are some absolutely bananas things. And we may even revisit some of those in a later episode. Yeah, I mean, people knock the game because there are 130 Div 1 schools, so there's so much happening, but that plays into the possibilities. that Because yeah. there is so much content, there's more chance of something crazy happening. There's yeah. more chance of the remarkable taking place. And because there are so many options available, it often does happen. And it's, it's so cool to kind of start to see it unfold and then to follow it and then see where that, where that takes you. And that's what college football is. And then that's what, you know, one of the things I really, really, really enjoy about the sport. Uh, my, my moment that stands out for me that I know you're just going to love this one uh, is uh, early on in, in my fandom of the sport, I was a massive Tim Tebow fan. I, I, I loved everything about oh. how he went about the game, how he was a leader of his team. Uh, and the you moment for me, shit. the moment for me was his promise. You are the a, promise. You're, you're a fuckhead. So you, both you and I visited uh, Gainesville on our uh, last trip over to the states and what are you going to get a tim tebow tattoo i thought that's what you said you were going to get they've immortalized this product uh promise in a plaque around the stadium there in gainesville uh but essentially the the lead up to it was that they'd won the 2007 national championship uh tim tebow had won the heisman he'd accounted for 55 rushing, t- oh, sorry, 55 total touchdowns, which is the most by uh, any player in the SEC at that point in time. They'd entered the season as number five in the poll with him back as quarterback. They, they were looking really, really good to repeat. Uh, and, you know, they'd had three straight wins to start the year. They were looking really good. 22 point favorites against Old Miss, and then college football happened. They lost the game. <laughs> It's yeah. just what happened. They lost a game that they should have won. They lost by a point. Uh, we could have seen Clemson do that this year with the North Carolina thing. Like sometimes these things aren't supposed to happen, but it just happens. It's a bunch of kids playing football. And on the back of that, he, he kind of he came out with this, this speech. There's a clip. Look it up. Uh, it's it's, it's self-righteous bullshit. It's a little preachy, but I... I love someone who is willing to show it all and then is able to back it up. And, and that's exactly what he did. So the, the crux of what he was saying was that whilst he's still there, they will not lose again. That he will do whatever it takes for this team to be successful. On the back of that, they turn around, they, they go up against, you know, they thought they were they're done at that point. A loss to Ole Miss, luckily enough, it's early enough that it's not, an issue like well, it's not a, a terminal issue but you know it's not looking good they then play the number four lsu tigers and beat them by 30 points the number eight georgia bulldogs beat them by 39 points uh, a ranked south carolina team beat them by 50 uh, a ranked florida state team beat them by 30 
knock off the number one ranked Alabama Crimson Tide in the SEC Championship and then easily account for the Oklahoma Sooners in the National Championship game. So he he created this narrative and then just delivered. And for me, it was it was just the ultimate dude putting his team on the back, uh, making a stand and really following through on it. And it was, it was just a really cool one. So I, I really like that moment in the college football law. Yeah. I mean, they did lose again though. So there's that. I'm um, just putting that out there. Timothy Tebow. Um, yeah. I, I hated that bullshit. I just thought it was super douchey. I know that probably happens in every, like, in every college football locker room at some stage. And he certainly was super competitive. And he's actually a pretty reasonable guy. I just, I just hated all that. And he tried that again as well. I think like the following year when he came back as a senior, and they had all those defensive guys come back. I think Joe Hayden would have been in that group, and um, like Brandon Spikes. Um, don't know. I'm throwing some Aaron, names out. Aaron there. Hernandez. Aaron Hernandez pre actually post killing someone. No, it was pre, but they they definitely didn't lose again that year. They didn't lose again that year, and then the following year they went and got off to a pretty good start again, but then lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game. And I remember, I actually remember bits of that game as well because he was trying to like do the same sort of inspirational crap again and it just didn't work like they just got creamed i think what was the score that was 32 13 they went down to the tide so but a pretty good run for the gators over that period only dropping two games in in a couple of years as tebow was your starter and he went on to have a an extremely fantastic uh you know, NFL career. What a what a brilliant operator he was. I think um, he's won more playoff games than the last how many hundred Buccaneers? Well, uh, actually, now that you've got Tom Brady on deck, probably not the case. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, call by you. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's not get carried away. We've probably won about the same amount of uh, you know. Super Bowls as Tebow did and the Bears have recently as well. So let's just pipe down over there. Uh, the other thing, which I cannot even remember what I was going to say now, but that would have been close to Urban Myers last year, I think, probably. Um, but yeah, an interesting time in college football and it probably was part of the, the rise of the SEC and their complete and utter dominance around college football and the national championship as well so yeah some good stuff indeed it was well that's been fun mate i've enjoyed that well that's good i'm glad we you could head back down memory lane and and talk your crap again about how awesome brandon whedon and justin blackman and justice hill or whoever it was joseph randall were they're all really good they've all gone on to have remarkable nfl careers well done we here at this show don't really care about that. So, well, based on the amount of analysis you gave on Detroit's backfield, that would, you know, suggest otherwise. Anyway, it is time to wrap it up. So, unless you've got anything else, William, no, I think uh, this will probably be the last of our off-season session shows. I think we're probably at a point where we can start collating our information for our conference previews. Uh, we'll really? Be looking, Can we? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What month are we in? April, May. 
June, July, carry the one. I guess it sort of depends on what America does. I'm backing in that the season's going to start on time. We might get a few games without some players, uh, without some spectators. Without some players, it'd be tough sledding. Just umpires on the I'd, field. I'd still watch. <laughs> That's where I'm at. A lot of laundry being thrown. A lot of delay <laughs> game penalties. But I think it starts on time. So I think it's time for us to shift our attention to the conference previews. We've got some review to do. We're going to dig in deep. We're going to find out who's who. We're going to pick our teams for this year. Who we can start to get around. We're going to buy some merch. Yeah, I do need to merch up again. I need to probably dump some old merch, actually. I've got like a, a TCU horned frog and the frog's not horned anymore. Um, it's got a you know, fair bit of paint on it from all the man things I do. You know. <laughs> anyway, um, before we do leave you though, please, as always, do hit us up on the socials uh, on Instagram and Twitter at CFB Down Under. Um, make sure you do get in touch, ask questions, say hello, let us know your favorite team, your favorite moment as well in college football. Um, that will probably do us. So on behalf of that guy over there in the rainy Adelaide Hills, hopefully we can be together again soon. My name is Aaron, that is Will, and we will see you next time. All right, here we go. 56 yarder. It's got, no, does not have the leg. And Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. He'll run it out to the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football.